Hey, so my name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors, and I am extremely grateful for this season, uh, this Christmas season that we are having here at Renaissance. So I've mentioned it a number of times, but I grew up at Shiloh Baptist Church right outside of Yonkers, and um, my mother was a church clerk. Every Sunday, she would read the announcements. They took like 16 minutes per announcements. Y'all don't know how them old school Baptist announcements go. My dad was a deacon. He would sit on the front row. First Sundays, they would serve communion. At the end of services, the deacons would walk down the aisle, and the preacher would say, give God your heart and give a deacon your hand. So since my parents were involved, uh, they made sure that my brother and I were also involved. Uh, We never really had to go to midweek stuff. I'm not one of those kids who grew up in church every single day. But Sundays, you're going to be in the Lord's house. So growing up, my brother and I, uh, we went to church on Sundays, and um, being a part of the church, you kind of had to do something. I couldn't sing my way out of a wet paper bag, so I knew the youth choir was not for me. So I was a junior usher, and on fourth Sundays, I had the responsibility to make sure that everything happened in decency and in order. (laughs) I would make sure that people were not chewing gum. You're not going to be chewing gum in the Lord's house, amen? I would do the offering and pass the baskets around, and I was like a 12-year-old kid, and this was, I don't know if people still do this at the old school churches, but you would like, somebody would give you a 20 and be like, let me get $18 back. <laughs> I was like a bookie. I just had like a pen, like, all right, Sister Susie needs 18. But the biggest responsibility, uh, the biggest responsibility every single Sunday when you were ushering was to guard the door before worship began. The choir would line up, and at 11 o'clock, not 11.01, at 11 o'clock on the dot, they would march in, so we've come this far by faith. And my job and the job of the other ushers was to guard the door to protect worship so that everything happened in decency and in order. Now, unintentionally, that developed a theology inside of me. Theology is basically the way that you understand God. The way that I understood God was that worship was something that happened on Sunday mornings from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. 1.30, if pastor was feeling pretty good in his sermon. But worship was not something for my life. It was something for a set time at a set place on a set day. The problem is that the Bible teaches something extremely different about worship. That worship is not something that you are meant to do on a Sunday morning for a couple hours of your time. It's not something to attend. It's not something to look at. It's something that is meant to orient your entire life. Worship is what you are building your life around. So you can go to church on a Sunday and leave there having sung all the songs and not worshiped. So this specific season that we are in is Christmas, and the word quite literally means Christ Mass, the worship of Christ. This entire season is not about which album is better, Mariah Carey Christmas or The Imitations. This season is truly about the worship of Christ, that our lives would be oriented around him. Now, if you grew up Catholic, you grew up going not to a church, but you grew up going to mass. You grew up going to worship. And that is a really particular word that I really want us thinking about today. Now, when the Bible talks about worship, again, it doesn't talk about an event. It talks about your life. And here's one thing it says in Romans 12 and 1. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. I urge you, Paul says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, worship from the time that it was introduced in Scripture wasn't about an activity. It was about an orientation. We have just come out of this series on embodied, God in the body, looking at our faith in our bodies. And what Paul is saying in Scripture, what the entirety of Scripture is building towards, is that worship is not something, not a song that you sing. It's not, and you probably have heard this before, people are like, oh, man, yo, worship was so dope today. Really? Like, as if worship is relegated to a set of songs, and then when they really sing that one song, somebody hits the falsetto, you're like, oh, that was God in that building. (laughs) But that worship is what we are building our lives around, what we have given our lives to. Paul says the act of true worship is not a song or a place that you go to. It is giving your body, your entire self to God, building your life around him. You know, we can worship a lot of different things. I remember when I was in uh, law school, I lived with my brother and my older cousin, and uh, I had this car that I loved. And every single Saturday, I would bring out the bucket to wash that car and uh, to wash the rims. I had these Q-tips to keep the rims clean. I had to, they were 20s. Um, they were 10s, but I kept them clean. And <laughs> the, uh, my brother, one time, I was coming in from the house. I was coming in from outside after washing the car, and my brother said, yo, you really worship that car. And he wasn't saying that I was going out and I was singing How Great Thou Art to the car. He was saying, yo, you really are building your entire life around this thing. Like, you won't drive when it rains. You park it like two miles away from everybody else. You are building your life around this car. Your day has been built around this piece of metal. Now, my brother never went to seminary or theology school, but he hit a home run when it came to understanding worship. Worship is what you are building your life around. And wouldn't it be a shame if this Christmas season, this Christ Mass season, the season that is meant to be orienting and building our lives around Jesus, if we were distracted, if we got caught up in all the glitz and the glamour of what everything else, all the commercials are are promising us, and we missed out on what God wants for us to have this season, not just this season, but every single season of your life. This season is meant to actually kind of just be like gasoline on the fire of our hearts to reorient us and refocus us on what it means to actually be in relationship with God. And that means to orient your life around his life. Here's what Jesus says, a very sobering words from Matthew 15, 8 and 9. He says this, this people honors me with their lips, but check this out, but their hearts, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain teaching as doctrine, human commands. Jesus often reserved his harshest criticism for people, not the people who were wilding out and who were way away from him. He reserved his harshest criticism for the people like these Pharisees and these religious leaders who said all of the right things. They dressed the right way. They would have checked every single box correctly. They did everything right. Then Jesus says, you have missed the mark completely because you worship me with your lips, but your heart, the, the centerpiece of your life, it's far from me. And one of our hopes today and, and this season is that our hearts would be one closer and closer to God. Jesus is telling them that they do a lot of religious activity. Sometimes they do a lot of work for God. And this applies to a lot of people like myself who, are in, who work in vocational ministry. Uh, it's a challenge that what if we don't truly love God first? Jesus says that all of the things they do are in vain, that they, that they don't matter. So 
one of the things I love about Renaissance is that we have a lot of people who are from all different walks of life, and some of you have been around for decades, and I think some of these words today that we're going to read in Scripture is meant to kind of confront you a little bit in the sleepiness that we all carry into Christmas season. But for others of you, you're like brand new, and this is a perfect opportunity for you to consider what kind of, if you were to have a relationship with Jesus, would you want it to be something that was so powerful and so profound that it touched everything in your life? Or would you want it to just be a Sunday morning thing that made you feel better for a couple of hours? So we're going to hop into a scripture today that's going to hopefully prompt our hearts and show us some of the obstacles that we have this Christmas season as we think about what it means to, to worship uh, God, to worship Jesus this Christmas season. But before we uh, get into the scripture, I actually really want to make sure I make a really strong caveat about what I'm not saying. So one of the things that complicates Christmas and our attention is grief. And grief and worship can very easily coexist. So one of my friends, he's a public theologian, he said it like this. He says, holiday seasons can be jarring when you're grieving the places where those whom you love used to be. Grace to every person grieving in these times. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons that grief might be the number one thing that you're feeling in this season. And I don't want you to hear anything that I'm going to say today as an accusation that you're unfaithful to God because your heart is not, just not alive with worship of Jesus this Christmas season. If the only thing you can do is get here and trust that God is Emmanuel, that he is God with you, that is orienting your life around Jesus this Christmas season. If the only thing you can do is just be present today and listen to those words, then just know this. God, our God, is Emmanuel. He is God with us, particularly close to those who are brokenhearted. To the rest of us in this room who may not be experiencing uh, grief as the marker for Christmas season, I do think it's an opportunity for us to have a good, hard look in the mirror uh, about what it is that has our attention, what it is that right now that we are building our lives around. And in view of the mercy of God, learn to give of ourselves, our lives, to Jesus. So there's a portion of scripture that we're going to read in Matthew 2, and um, it's a traditional Christmas text. If you've been to church growing up, you probably have heard it a number of times. Um, and here's what it says uh, in Matthew 2. We'll start in the first couple of verses. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now pay attention to that line. It's going to be a very important line. For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So a little bit about King Herod. King Herod was a very violent man, and he was very possessive over his kingdom and over his reign. Uh, historians will tell you that Herod killed uh, his, a number of his wives. He killed a number of his children. He killed his brothers. He killed anybody that dared to even get close to threatening him and his authority. So he was deeply paranoid, and he was ready to uh, uh, basically truly kill anybody who got in the way of his own kingdom. Now, this word in the Greek, uh, disturbed, is terasso, which means he has this inward commotion. There's this part of his internal life that is completely turned upside down, 
and there is no calmness in his mind, and he is absolutely deeply bothered by the arrival of Jesus. Now, Scripture in verse 3 says something very profound. It doesn't just say that King Herod was bothered and deeply disturbed. It said, and all Jerusalem with him. So there's one group of people that in the season of Jesus' arrival, their response is that they are disturbed. And why is that? They are disturbed because another king was coming. And when another king comes, they bring in their kingdom and their rules and their way of life. And one of the biggest obstacles to us this Christmas is our own kingdom. And Jesus will come in, and if you are in relationship with the real Jesus, he will upset things the way that they used to be. And he will establish a new reign and a new way of doing things. One of the things that I've realized in in the previous years is that a lot of times, like, we think we're following Jesus. And one of the best litmus tests to whether you are following Jesus, the real living Jesus, is whether or not there are periods of your life where, he, where his kingdom confronts your kingdom. When his way of things is the opposite of your way of doing things. Because if you are ever in relationship with the real Jesus, everybody that was in, in interaction and relationship with him, not every single day, but there were periods of time where Jesus' way of doing things was just different. And I'm afraid for so many people that they are following the Jesus of their imagination. You know the Jesus of my imagination? He loves everything I love. He just wants me to be a little bit nicer. The Jesus of my imagination will never confront me because it's just a better version of me. But the Jesus of the Bible, he is a king. And to be in relationship with him means that in certain ways, he is going to disturb you. He is going to call you to do things that you would have never done on your own, and that is disturbing. You know, I feel this every single time that I have to forgive somebody. I, I don't know if you've ever been in relationship with somebody who maybe you were close to at once upon a time, and you told them something, and they spread your confidential words all over the streets. And now you have to make the decision, if you're going to follow Jesus, to forgive them. Now, this does not mean, forgiveness does not mean that you entrust them with more information tomorrow. It doesn't mean just letting them back in to hurt you over and over again. It does not mean that. It does mean to release the debt that they owe you. And there's so many times that so many people have been following Jesus for decades. And some of you who are new to to the faith, let me kind of give you a spoiler alert. At some point, immediately in the faith, God is going to call you to forgive people in the way that he has forgiven you, to release the debt that you are holding over them, to release the the animosity, the ill will. And here's the thing. In Jordan Rice's kingdom, I want you to pay for the wrong that you have done to me, especially if that wrong to me involves or impacts my family. I want you to feel a lot of negative consequences from that. I want you to learn that you're just not going to talk about me any kind of way. But what do I see in Scripture? In Scripture, I see Jesus saying to telling people, forgive as I have forgiven you. And God walks us, if you'll allow him, gradually and gently through the process of laying down your anger and your desire for them to be harmed or for them to feel the negative consequences of their effect and to release them of the debt and to be able to pray for them, the people who have tried to use you. Now, if you are in relationship with Jesus, your kingdom is going to fight. Every piece of your body is going to be deeply disturbed when it comes time to do that. Now, this is how we know that we're actually following Jesus and not the Jesus of our imagination. The same thing is true with the way we spend our, our, our money. 
It's all good to give God a little $5 bill in the plate. Oh, praise the God, you know, baskets going around, put $5 in there. What if God wanted you to change the way that you saw money altogether? That everything you have has been given to you by him. And it's not yours, it's his for you to steward for this period of time in your life. And I'm not saying we're going to put the baskets back out for y'all to give money today. We're not doing that. (laughs) Next Sunday you can give. (laughs) But in all seriousness, the way we spend our money, the way we use our body or don't use our body, these are deep settled issues inside of us. And unless we are willing to let Jesus truly be king in our lives, we're just going to give him the end. We're going to just give him whatever we were comfortable giving him because we're not allowing him to be truly king in our lives. One thing that I know for for sure is that Jesus is a king. He is a gentle king, though. That is the good news of the gospel. Jesus is a gentle king. Jesus is not out to harm you. Yes, his ways are higher than your ways. Yes, his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Yes, Jesus' leadership in your life might be unorthodox at times, but he is a gentle king. And, And check this out. The entire story of Scripture is that God is the type of king that you can trust. He's the king that gives his life for the pawn. Who does that? At just the right time, Jesus gave his life and died for the ungodly. So Scripture is replete over and over from cover to cover that Jesus has come not to condemn the world, but to save the world uh, through his life. And the image of Jesus on the cross, the king going to the cross for the peasants, this is the king that is calling you to lay down your kingdom in exchange for his. You know, every single time you pray the, the, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next line? Your kingdom come, your will be done. This week, if you were to really pray that, just that one line, Over and over and over again. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Man, that's a scary line to pray because you don't know what God's kingdom is going to bring in your life. You don't know what God's will is for your life. I love my will. My will is great. My will makes a lot of sense to me. My will is, it's really good, actually. I'll I'll share with you what it is in the hallway after service. My will is always pain-free. My will never requires me to sacrifice. My will never requires me to get outside of my comfort zone. My will never requires me to actually trust in Jesus. But God is telling us that there's something better than that. And if we're going to orient our lives around Jesus, if we're going to actually worship him, that means we need to be praying, Lord, your will be done, not my will. And learning to release every single day. Now, this is why Jesus tells you, if, you, if anybody wants to follow me, I love the way Jesus talks about what it means to be a disciple. And we'll get to this in the foundations course for those of you who sign up for that, what it means to be a disciple. What it means to be a disciple, Jesus says, if, if any man wants to come after me, if you have the desire to follow Jesus, you have to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. Now, what is that? What, do you, what, what does it mean to pick up your cross? It means to allow the previous way of life to be put to death. Whatever it is that you had already previously prescribed for your life, to put that to death. And you need grace for that. You need a whole lot of community to push you towards that, because I'm not going to, to do that by myself. You need a whole lot of Holy Spirit to breathe on you, to allow you to, to do that. It is painful. It is a painful, painful thing to lay down our kingdom in exchange for his. But what story do you want at the end of your life? Like, what story do you want? 
Do you want to be looking back on your deathbed one day that you've lived and you've done everything the way that you wanted to do it and you snuck Jesus in wherever it was convenient? Or do you want the version of life that says, I didn't know where he was taking me. I had no idea where we were going. All I knew was I was going to trust him and I was going to lay down my life for his. And he led me and he guided me. That's a much better story. That's like a million times better story that you can write on your own. And what God is inviting us to this Christmas season is that worship is laying down our kingdom. So this week, I want you thinking about, I want you to write down the things in your life that, Jesus, I'd never wanna, I would never want to give these things up to follow you. And gently ask the Holy Spirit to gently wrestle the control that you think you have over your life because you have no control. All you have is the illusion of control over your life. We're all one phone call away from our entire life being upended, all of us. So what it means to, to see the sign, the disturbance, the disturbance as a sign that God is near you, and to invite God and to ask God to give you the strength to follow him and to turn over your kingdom for his. Now, let's, let's keep going in the story. Uh, verses 4 through 6, there's another group of people that are the chief priests and religious leaders. And if you read, read past this group of verses too quickly, you'll miss on what the Christmas story is meant to show us about our human nature. So in verse 4, it says this, So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. So this is Herod. This is a man who has killed everybody around him, threatening his kingdom. And he asks all of these chief priests and scribes where this Messiah, this new king, is going to be born. Now, these men would have been very educated they would have known history. They were extremely smart. They would have known what Herod was going to do. What is their response? So the scribes, uh, where the Messiah would be born, and immediately they start snitching. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, if you read over this too quickly, you'll miss on what Scripture is trying to communicate to us. Out of everybody in the nation of Israel who should have been looking forward to the Messiah with expectation, with hope, with adoration, with eagerness, it should have been this group of people. These were the religious leaders and scribes who their lineage for hundreds of years, they were praying for the arrival of Jesus. And now they hear that Jesus is coming and there's this king that's going to very likely try to kill him and they immediately tell where he is. What's the motivation for that? It's fear. It's self-preservation. It's if I don't tell this man who's right in front of me what he wants to hear, some bad might come to me as well. Now, there's a piece of all of us that wants to orient our lives around Jesus. We want to lay down our kingdom for his kingdom. And a truly serious obstacle to us really worshiping, building our life around Jesus, is fear. Fear that if I follow God, a bad outcome might follow. For many of us, we have a fear about the future, fear that we won't have enough, fear of rejection, fear for our safety and our security, fear of losing people that we love, fear of being let down, fear of looking foolish. Now, for all of us, I heard um, one of my mentors one time said this, that we're going to need to get a handle of our fears because our fears are the things that are driving us. Your fear right now, the thing that you're afraid of, that's the thing that's driving you. 
And this fear that's so real in my life, particularly when it's a fear of what another person might do to us if we actually followed God, but this is a fear I want you to consider right here. I don't know everybody in this room and watching online. If I were to follow Jesus, I am afraid that this would happen. Some of you, you're afraid of giving Jesus access to your life in parts that previously you have never done before. For many of you, you're starting this journey of emotional health and wellness, and by the time you get to a little bit of uncovering your story, your past, your, your family's history, there's a piece of all of us that would want to close the book and walk away because it's fearful to actually try to encounter and uncover things that for many of us have been covered for decades and decades. And it's easier to let that win in many times. But what God is inviting us into is the trust and the certainty that in following him, you'll never have any regrets. Not saying it's going to go great the way that you previously wrote it out, but that in the end of our lives, we will be able to say, I ran my race, I finished the course, I kept the faith, I followed, I did exactly what God had called me to do. What is it for you? What is a, what is a fear that you're carrying into this Christmas season that might be holding you back from truly building your life all around Jesus? I think the invitation from Jesus is first to acknowledge that fear to him and acknowledge it to your community, the people in your DNA groups and people around us, but then ask the Holy Spirit to lead you away from fear into trust. You know, earlier I said that grief and faith can very easily coexist, but fear and faith oftentimes do not. You know, oftentimes whenever you see the most repeated scripture in the Bible is, don't be afraid, fear not, I am with you. These religious leaders and wise men, I wonder what would have happened to them if one of them would have said, hey, listen, this guy is about to try to kill Jesus. Maybe we shouldn't be afraid of what this man in front of us could do. Maybe we should be actually expectant like the rest of Israel for all of hundreds of years should have been um, hoping and praying for. This Christmas season, pay attention to your fears. So this last group of people were the wise men, and we see their story in verses 7 through 12. It says, then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them to exact the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now, the wise men, what they did is they followed in obedience the star that was leading them towards Jesus. The star wasn't Jesus. It was leading them towards Jesus. In other words, there was something that they were going to do that was going to take them towards worshiping Jesus. Now, for us, there are no stars that are going to appear to you on 125th Street. But there are things that God has created, has given us, that will lead us towards worshiping Jesus. All throughout uh, Christian history, these have been uh, referred to as the means of grace. Some people have called them the spiritual disciplines. I don't call them the uh, spiritual disciplines, although they do require discipline. 
I call them the means of grace, things like scripture reading, prayer, public worship, communion, confession, all of these things. These are the things that will lead you to worshiping Jesus. One of the things that I have discovered so many times in my life is that there's been so many times where I have waited to want to do things. I have waited to want to read the Bible. And when I wait to want to read the Bible, I will go weeks, unless I'm preaching, I will go weeks without touching it because I don't want, like, there's a lot of me, of me that just doesn't feel like doing it. Or there's sometimes where I just don't want to sing songs or I don't want to do these things. And we let our emotions and our motivations lead us instead of the other way around, that we are meant to be obedience-led people and trust that our emotions and our motivations will catch up eventually. So God wants you to follow the means of grace so that God can get his love and true worship in your heart. Now, there's two things I want you focusing on right now. The first is uh, scripture reading, the act of scripture reading. And what I really believe wholeheartedly is that if we were to just take out our phones and check our screen time and how much time we spend on pick the app, uh, we would realize very quickly that we don't have a time problem. We have an attention problem. We have a priority problem, but it's not time. We do have time. I I want us to spend some time this week reading through John 1. It's the story of Jesus coming in the incarnation. If you have another scripture that you really want to focus in on, that's on you. Um, I pray the Lord will meet you in that as well. But I'm going to be reading John 1 this week, and I want you to give some time to read it slowly. And I want you to ask God, how might he be inviting you away from your own kingdom and away from fear into truly orienting your life around him this season? The second thing that I want us to do right now, and you can all rise with me, uh, is the act of public worship and the act of singing songs. Uh, In some ways, songs are like uh, public worship I don't know if you've ever felt this before, but like there's a difference between like hearing a song in your AirPods walking down the street versus being in the building together. It just hits different. So right now I'm going to pray and we're going to sing together, asking God, the Holy Spirit to minister to us and to help us to build our lives around him. So Jesus, you know the obstacles, you know the distractions, you know the things that drag us away from you. Jesus, in your gentleness and your grace, I pray that you would Teach us what it means to follow you. Keep us close. Allow us to see you in your beauty and your glory, that what you have for us is better than anything we can come up to on our own. God, give us the courage. Give us the clarity. Give us the boldness. Give us the faith to orient everything in our lives, to build our lives around you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.